you so much uh, for this another opportunity to come into your house for worship. We pray, God, that you would bless the proclamation of your word. May you be glorified. May your people be blessed. And thank you again for this beautiful Lord's Day, Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles or your electronic uh, devices, your Bible electronic devices, again to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want us to focus the sermonic spotlight on verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I want to preach this morning from the subject, finding hope when things seem hopeless. Finding hope when things seem hopeless. Saul, the first king of Israel, as many of you remember, refused to obey God. He refused to cooperate with God's agenda. As a result, God chose to replace him with a young shepherd boy named David. As time progressed, Saul grew violently bitter and resentful and fearful of David, and he resolved to kill David, whom he saw as his competition. If you read through that that whole relationship with Saul and David, um, Saul never complimented David. He never uh, he never supported David. He never talked about the great job that David was doing. All he had on his mind, his burning desire was to rid himself and even the nation of this young shepherd boy named David. So in an attempt to escape Saul's wrath, David went on the run with 600 dedicated men who were dedicated to David, who were misfits, if you will, but they found they found refuge in following David. And so they went on the run with him, determined to help him, to fight for him, to support him in any way that they could. And so these 600 men, along with all of their families, their wives and their, their children, joined David and on the run. Now, while on the run, an interesting thing happened. David connected with a king by the name of Achish. Achish was the king of Goth. Goth was the Philippine Empire, Philistine Empire. Goth was the Philistine Empire. It was the place, it was the headquarters of enemy's arch enemy, the Philistines. And so here it is, David running for his life, his 600 men and their their families. He connects with the king of Goth, the capital of the Philistine Empire. Goth, as you remember, was the hometown of Goliath, the giant that David killed in 1 Samuel 17 and 50. 
so David now, as he connects with this king Achish, he convinces Achish. Now, David was a smooth operator. He had God's anointing and favor. David was able to convince Achish, this king, that he and his 600 men would join him and the Philistine army and fight against Saul and the army of Israel. Isn't that something? That David was able to convince this king, listen, I'm on your side. I'm with you. And so the king agreed, and an alliance between David and Achish worked very well for a while. They got along real good for a while. Achish trusted David, and David was his guy. It worked for a while, but the wheels ran off the wagon. When the Philistine commanders, when the Philistine commanders rejected Achish's idea of having David go along with them in the battle. 1 Samuel 29, 4 and 5 reveals the intensity of their rejection stating, but the princesses of the Philistines were angry with him and said, Achish, make this fella return. They were furious that the king had even brought David into his confidence and they demanded that he send David away. They said, make this fella return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us in battle. Now here's their rationale right here in the scriptures. Less in battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not the heads of these men? In other words, he said, what better way for David to get back into the good graces of Saul than by killing us? Achish, you're making a big mistake. Send him home. Send him away. And then they went further with their rationalization. They said, is this not David of whom one sang and others danced, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? Now they're reasoning with Achish, saying, listen, the women sang his praises. This guy is a warrior. He has killed tens of thousands. So now y'all, Achish is in a tough spot. You know how it is. You know, you want to move in a certain direction, but then you got people who are close to you, maybe working with you, maybe working under your supervision that have a strong opinion that we ought not go that way. Well, that's where the king is. He's in a tough spot. On the one hand, David has won his loyalty. No question about it. David won his loyalty. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to create mutiny or insurrection or rebellion within his own ranks. So he sadly sends David and his men away. You can imagine what that must have been like, what it must have felt like for Achish, what it must have felt like for for David. They had this this union. They had this togetherness. Achish had promised him a lot of things, and now he has to go back on his word and send David away. 
So early the next morning, David and his men departed. But three days later, when they arrived at Ziglag, the place that Achish had given them to uh, uh, abide, when they got back to Ziglag, to the place that they had made home, away from home, they discovered that the Amalekites had invaded Ziglag. They had burned it to the ground and they had taken captive the wives and children of David and his men. First Samuel 30 and 4 reveals the gut-wrenching reaction of David and his men as they looked upon this disaster. The text reads, So David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. That word wept is a strong word. It's more than crying mere tears. It means gut-riching. It means that they are weeping profusely from the inside out. It said they wept until they had no more power to weep, y'all. They cried until there were no more tears. They had nothing left. Imagine the scene. An empty village. Smoldering fire, black ashes, scorched remnants of clothing, shoes, and and children's playthings just scattered all over the place. Imagine not knowing if their wives and their children were dead or alive. But that's not all. It gets worse for David. Because now... His men are talking about stoning him. Out of all that's going on, they get back. The land is burned. Everything is burned. It's scorched. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. And now the men are talking about stoning David to death. Now, mind you, mind you. These men were not strangers to David. They they were his brothers. They were his friends. They were his comrades in in arms. They, They were not strangers. They were not his enemies. They were not men he did not know. It's one thing when strangers, when your enemies, when people you don't know are planning to hurt you. Something else when those who have been with you, who have walked with you, who have talked with you, have who have sung sung your praises. They they had been running from Saul together. They had they had made plans of seeing brighter days and better days together. But now here they were talking about killing David. That will mess your day up. Talking about being up one day and down the next. Talk about being labeled a hero one day and people are talking about how great you are and how much they love you and how much they appreciate you. But the next day you are a villain. Talking about when it rains, it pours. Talking about that thin line between love and hate while people will stand up and say, if no one has told you today, I love you. Let me be the first to tell you. 
The next day they're talking about destroying you. David's back is up against the wall. His life perhaps flashing before him. His blood pressure no doubt is on the rise. His pulse rate is off the chart. He's one anxious man on the hit list of 600 angry, distraught, frustrated, bitter Man, he's facing what appears to be a hopeless situation. So what does he do? How does he, how does he weather the storm? Where does he find hope amid dejection, despair, despondency, and maybe even depression? What does he turn for strength to to carry on? Look again at verse 6. The text reads, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Mind you, there's no one else around to encourage him. Nobody's there to pat David on the back and say, David, we understand it's okay. It was outside of your control. You could not, you could not have prevented this. No, nobody there is encouraging him, saying, David, it's gonna be all right. We're gonna stand with you. You're down now, but it's gonna be all right. Better days are coming. It's, it's gonna get better from here. David. Underscore, y'all, strengthened himself in the Lord. Oh, what a joy it is to have a great church family. And oh, what a joy it is to have people around you who love you. But imagine having no one in your corner. You go back, you're beaten, you're battered, you're abused. Even your corner. Even your trainer has gone away and left you. So y'all, what do we do when we are distressed? What do we do when we are discouraged? What do we do when we are disappointed? And and even when we are depressed, what do we do? What do we do when we are down? What do we do when the people, the public, the pressures of life weigh us down. Maybe it's conflict in the home. Maybe it's confusion on the job. Maybe there are congregational issues you face. Maybe you're struggling with a health issue or a financial issue or both or all of the above. Maybe you're going through a dark place. And the devil has been whispering lies in your ear. Saying to you, it's over. Saying to you, you're done. Saying to you, you are washed up. You are washed out. You are over the hill. You are a has-been. You are a loser. Nobody cares about you anyway. Whispering in your ear lies such as it's no use in trying any more. The words of Job's wife who sounded foolishly whispering in your 
words telling you your situation is hopeless. Where do you go? What do you do? Well, the answer is simple yet profound. We do what David did. We encourage ourselves in the Lord. Listen, if there's no one else around to say to you, good job, it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. You're going to come through this. You encourage yourself in the Lord. In fact, you ought to just look at yourself in the mirror sometimes. Just get up in the morning and say, oh, I thank God I am wonderfully made, beautifully and wonderfully made. Oh, I thank God I will be encouraged today. Things don't look good. Things don't look well, but I will be encouraged. So look at verse 7. Which states, then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me the ephod here to me. The ephod was a part of the high priest's garment to which was attached a breastplate pouch containing what they call the Urim and the Thummim, Exodus 28. Uh, 13, the Urim and Thummim were stones used as sacred lots in those days to determine the will of God. So look at verse 8. Then David inquired of the Lord with the Urim and the Thummim. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? What he said is, God, what shall I do? Has there anybody, anybody here, you've been there, you've just had to throw up your hands and say, oh God, what shall I do in this situation? I don't know. I'm even at a loss for words. So David goes before the Lord. He inquires, he says, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And listen at the response of God. He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. Isn't that beautiful? David, you shall recover all. Without fail. Notice David encouraged himself, y'all, by inquiring of the Lord and the same holds true for us if we want to find hope when things seem hopeless the key is to inquire of the Lord oh it's all right to talk to other people but first and foremost as believers in Jesus Christ we ought to inquire of the Lord we have an all-powerful God we have an all-knowing God we have a God who's ever present everywhere all the time why not inquire of him notice David encouraged himself by inquiring of the Lord and the same holds true for us if we want to find hope when things seem hopeless the key is to inquire of the Lord so the question is how do we do it How does inquiring of the Lord flesh out in our everyday lives? How do we as born again believers in Jesus Christ 
encourage ourselves in the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have just three ways briefly this morning. First, we encourage ourselves in the Lord through print. P-R-I-N-T. What that means is we take out a copy of God's sacred text and allow its truth to penetrate our hearts and our mind. What it says, y'all, is that we ought to be reading the book. The book of books, the Bible. We allow the truth of God's words to saturate our souls when we read the Bible in order to encourage ourselves. God's word is an indispensable antidote for distress. God's word is a reliable remedy for depression. You remember Elijah, don't you? I mean, he had this great, great victory on, on Mount Carmel. He has slain 450 a prophet of Baal, and the very next day he got the word that wicked Queen Jezebel was out to kill him. And so Elijah ran, and he was under duress and under distress and and depressed and, and just really asked of God, just let me die. God's word came to him. And so it is with us. God's word is an indispensable antidote for distress. God's word is a reliable remedy for depression. God's word is a solid solution for despair. Listen to God's irrevocable, irresistible, undeniable, unalterable word and see if you won't be encouraged. Again, Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not for I am with you. Won't that encourage you? To know that the King of Kings, the Lord of glory is with you. He has a hedge all around you as he had around Job. And nothing can harm you. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can get in unless God says it can. He said, I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Listen, y'all, in every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Isaiah 54, 17, that ought to encourage you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It just won't work. I will lift up my eyes to the hills for whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What God is promising here is that he will give you help from on high. So why be discouraged? For his eye is really on the sparrow. And I know he watches me he's watching you during those tedious times during those difficult moments he is watching and he is working the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear fear has you gripped of some person or some circumstances or some decision the question on the floor is why 
You encourage yourself in the word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Watch this. When the wicked. When the wicked. When those who mean you no good. When those who plot plan your demise, your fall. God says when the wicked. The psalmist says when the wicked even came against me to eat up my flesh. My enemies and my foes. The psalmist said they stumbled and fell. Has anybody looked around? Have you seen any stumbling and falling around you? If you haven't, just keep walking with God. You will. Psalm 27, 1 and 2. And then Matthew 28 and 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How's that for putting trials and tribulations and tests in the proper perspective? How's that for lifting up your head? Y'all read that word. Second, we encourage ourselves in the Lord through prayer. Now this month, spiritual discipline here at the Good Hope Church is prayer. And every day of the month, we have a selected scripture verse for, for, for each of our church members to read and to pray. And we'll pray those scripture verses as a, as a unified body. We'll share the theme each day of the month for us to pray as a body of believers in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't gotten your prayer calendars, you can get one on the way out. Take it, use it, and pray. God will do radical things when you pray. God will do radical things in our church when we pray. Terry Wells says when the church start praying, chains start breaking. Change start breaking when the church starts praying. If you want to see miraculous things, if you want to see earth shattering things, begin to pray. So why pray? Because Jesus told us and taught us to do it. Why pray? Because Jesus modeled a life of prayer. You remember even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why pray? Because James 5, 16 and B states the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person avails much. That means there's much benefit, y'all. It accomplishes much. Your prayers will achieve much. I don't know how it works. I know it works. As I meditated on this word this week, I got to thinking, uh, my wife and I were riding along and we saw an airplane and I said, man, I don't really know all of that. I don't know how it works. We've gotten on a plane and gone thousands of miles heading over to Uganda. Our church is scheduled to go back, members of our church again in June. When we get on the plane, I don't know how all of that works. I don't know how the landing gear works. I don't even know what the pilot is doing, but I know we go and the plane gets up and it flies and we reach our destination by the grace of God. Listen, y'all, all I'm telling you is that I know it works. So God is saying prayer work. You don't have to have a doctorate degree or a master's degree in praying. All you need is a born again but degree. And you can pray and prayer works. 
We got some people here, perhaps who are electricians. I don't, I don't know how it works. I know I, I flip on the light switch at the house and it comes on. When I want the air conditioner, I just flip a, a, a switch and, and I hear the, the motor running outside. I don't know how it works, but I know one thing. The house helped me somebody begins to cool down whenever I, whenever I flip the switch. Well, what God is saying to us this Sunday morning is, yo, switch, do the switch. Somebody needs to hit the switch. You in a hot situation, flip the switch. Don't worry about how it works. You just need to know that it works. Why well, I pray because Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Paul says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you need peace in your life, you ought to try praying. Forget about the internet. Forget about Facebooking. Forget about the texting. Just pray. Spend the time praying. God will work it out. Him knowledge is highlights the encouraging power of prayer with these words. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And, see, and since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace. I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour. A prayer. Just a little bit. We're going to come to the table for communion. But don't you see Jesus casting upon the Father's throne as he was about to face the final challenges here on earth? That is the challenge of Calvary's cross. That's the place where he hung and bled and died to pay your sin debt and my sin debt. That was the place from which he would be taken and buried. He was buried in a barred tomb. And, but early on Sunday morning, he arose with all power in his hands. You know what he did? He encouraged himself by talking. Yeah, with the Father. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Listen to the words of his prayer in Luke 22 and 42. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And third, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Through projection. Through projection. You see, projection means simply this. It means remembering. Remembering what God has already brought you through. Now, we were blessed all week long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday, but we were blessed in this sanctuary on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night as we heard Bishop C. Wright in his preaching projecting how God had blessed him and kept him through three heart attacks, a triple bypass surgery. That's projection. And he talked about through that projection how he knew that God would take care of him because he had done it before. Yeah. 
projection means to play on the screen of our sanctified minds. All the times and places where God has brought us through. Projection means to play on our minds where God has brought us from in order to stay focused on where God will take us to. For instance, in 1 Samuel 17, when Saul questioned David's ability to defeat Goliath, David said in verse 37, the Lord, look at his projection, y'all. He said, the Lord, I can see this on the screen of David's mind. He said, the Lord who delivered me. That's past tense, y'all. The Lord who did it before me, for me, before the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David, remember what God had done and it encouraged him towards what God would do. David's projection reminds me of the third stanza of that old hymn. Of the church entitled Amazing Grace. I remember them singing this hymn, Deacon Jones, our little boy. I'm sitting up in Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church, and the old saints were, were singing this song, and they got to the third stanza. I didn't really understand. I couldn't really connect with it. I didn't really know what it mean until years later after I had been called to preach and, and serving as a military chaplain. And years later as I be, began to pastor church, I, I, I didn't know what it mean. But then it came clear to me. The word said through many dangers. Toss and snare. I have already come towards grace that brought me safe this far and grace will lead me on. So it is with us. We can encourage ourselves to remembering that no matter how dark the night, how long the trial, how deep the valley, how malicious the enemy, the same God that brought us safe this far will will yes he will God will take care of you so be not dismayed whatever betide be encouraged because God will I know he will I stand as a witness that he will I tell you from first hand experience that God will take care of you 